Between 2000 and 2001, a man claiming to be an American military time traveler from 2036 told his incredible story on several internet message forums. His name was John Titor, and his story is next. Let's take a listen. Hello and welcome to Things You Don't See Every Day with Chris Taliaferro. I am the aforementioned Chris Taliaferro, and today we will be talking about a time traveler. <laughs> now, time travel is a very prevalent uh, trope in pop culture. It's, it's something that's very commonly used. It's in uh, everything from the likely most popular example, uh, Back to the Future, to more recent fare, like Avengers Endgame. You know, we've seen all kinds of different time travel movies, time travel movies with different types of rules. Um, you know, it's just something that I think at this point, everyone is kind of familiar with. I think... I don't really have to go over exactly what time travel is. Everyone kind of gets the concept. In a nutshell, you go back in time and maybe you can change things. Maybe you can see things, experience things that happened before. Uh, one of my um, one of my personal favorite time travel stories in fiction was a cartoon series that I grew up on. Um, I, I grew up, uh, I grew up Roman Catholic, so I definitely saw a lot of, uh, religious cartoons and shows and such, and there was a cartoon called Superbook, where two children had a magical Bible that could take them back in time to, uh, witness the the events of the Bible unfold. And they tried to change things for the better, but they, they could never actually affect any change on the past. They could only bear witness to what had happened before, and they couldn't really affect it. That's one, um, that's one theory on how time travel would work. You, you can go back, but whatever you do will not affect the future because the past already happened. So you already went back and you already uh, tried to do something and it didn't work. And that's why you got the current time that you are in. I hope I didn't confuse anybody. <laughs> but, then, but then you've got things like Back to the Future, right? Very different from Superbook. When Marty McFly went back in time... He was able to change the lives of his parents and his siblings and himself for the better. But then you've got a movie like Avengers Endgame that I just I just mentioned where it's a little different because there's diverging timelines. And I, I really don't want to get in the weeds with this, but just try and follow me. So in Avengers Endgame, they try to do the exact same thing that they did in Back to the Future where... You simply try to go back in time and right wrongs and try to make things better. In Back to the Future, it was not explicitly implied 
that if you go back in time and change things in the past, that that past will still be your past. Are you guys still with me? So if you go back in time and you steal your mom's watch and you bring it to the future with you, you may be creating a situation where in the past, in that mom's past who had her watch stolen, she goes on an entirely different trajectory um, in her life than the mom who raised you and had that watch in her possession. So if you were raised by the mom who still has her watch that you stole, that's a divergent timeline because you've created a timeline where your mom doesn't have her watch. That's how it works in Avengers Endgame. If you go and you take somebody's wallet, you're going to create a divergent timeline where that person goes forward having their item stolen from you, but you still come from the world where that never happened, where that person had their item and you never stole it. That's where you came from. So your timeline doesn't cease to exist because you went back into the past. You simply created a divergent timeline, right? I'm just trying to set the table here for you guys. I'm sorry. I might be getting a little in the weeds, but these are some of the different types of uh, time travel uh, rules that we've seen in popular culture. Sometimes you can go back and change things, like in Back to the Future. Sometimes you can go back and uh, change things, but with repercussions of creating another divergent timeline, like Avengers Endgame. And sometimes you can go back in time and you can't change what happened. Um, like uh, Superbook. Um, the time machine, Wells' time machine actually um, had that same kind of theme where you, whatever is going to happen is going to happen and it, and it already happened. Um, maybe I should have, maybe I should have used <laughs> uh, Wells as a, uh, as an example before, <laughs> before Superbook. But, but listen, if you can look up Superbook on, um, on YouTube, it's actually a really cute cartoon, especially if you have kids and I'm anything but religious, but it's, it's good stuff. So let's get, let's get back. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get back on topic here. The time traveler we'll, we'll be discussing today wasn't a fictional situation. It wasn't a movie or a, a book. This person claimed to be real. We're, we're going to be discussing a real time traveler, and his name was John Titor. So let's get into it. So John Titor, uh, you know, he posted on some internet forums in uh, the early 2000s. Uh, the first posts attributed to John Titor uh, appeared on the Time Travel Institute forums uh, on November 2nd, 2000. Now, these posts although he wasn't referring to himself as John Titor at the time, and we'll get into why in a minute, um, they are attributed to him because uh, 
not only is his story uh, consistent, but he also uses the same military insignia, insignia, sorry, Ugh. I'm a little tongue-tied. He used the same military insignia on his initial posts as he did when he began referring to himself as John Titor. So at this time, he only, re he only referred to himself uh, with the username, username Time Travel Zero. So, um, you know, it was just kind of an internet forum. Uh, anyone who's old enough to kind of remember internet forums at the time, you know, you just make an, a name and that's it. So he just made himself Time Travel Zero and no one asked him what his first or last name was. But um, although his messages were brief, uh, all of them gave descriptions of what a time travel machine would need to work. And he was very specific in his detailing, very specific in uh, how he described things. So he began to catch people's eye and, and get some attention. So he didn't he didn't begin to refer to himself as John Titor until he began posting on the Art Bell BBS forums, where it was the type of situation where everyone with an account needed a first and last name. It's kind of like how, you know, Facebook is now with, you know, trying to make sure, even though people use pseudonyms every day, they try to mitigate that as much as possible by trying to make sure you're using a name, a first and a last name to kind of make sure that people are people. It's it's far from a perfect system, but, you know, what else can they do, right? So, um, he started posting his John Titor on the, uh, the Art Bell forums, and uh, he posted on those forums until March 2001. So, now that... I, I feel like I've kind of set the table... I feel like I've kind of let you know uh, exactly, you know, how this guy kind of started. Again, just posting on forums. But now we can uh, get into the specifics of John's story. This is the good stuff. So let's get into it. So in his forum posts, John claimed to be an American soldier from the year 2036. He was assigned to a governmental time travel project and sent back to the year 1975 to retrieve an IBM 5100 computer. And the reason he was sent on this mission was he claimed that this IBM 5100 computer was needed to debug computers in his time. Now, we'll get back to that claim in a minute. He also claimed to be selected for this mission because his grandfather was a programmer for the 5100 and was uh, integral in its uh, implementation and production. And because of this, he could presumably use his knowledge of his own family history to complete the mission. So why was he even posting in the early 2000s, right? Well, 
Well, Titor claimed that on his way back from 1975, he stopped in the year 2000 to collect family pictures, heirlooms, that type of thing that were lost in the future, as well as to visit his family from that time period. So I really want to get into John's predictions, uh, but before that, I want to do a couple of things. Um, First, I want to get back to uh, what I said in the beginning about the IBM 5100 computer. Um, and then I also want to get into his description of the time machine itself. So first, the IBM 5100 computer. Now, the reason I want to get back to this is at the time of his blog posts, the debugging capabilities of the IBM 5100 computer were not exactly something that was public knowledge. It was not common knowledge. Those within the industry knew of this capability, but it was not something that your average layman would know about or have any knowledge or expertise in. So that means one of two things. It means that the individual who was responsible for John Titor's posts was in that industry or had intimate knowledge of that industry, and not just the industry specifically, but of IBM's internal business practices themselves. Or he's actually from the future. And at the time, that's what a lot of people thought. Um, there was a large contingent of individuals who upon hearing his claims of uh, the IBM 5100 being able to debug in this manner that he described, there were skeptics that were like, what are you talking about? Only for industry insiders to come out and say, no, this guy's actually right. You can do this with these computers. This, this makes sense. This tracks. So, you know, it gave credence to a lot of what he was saying, to a lot of people. I'm a skeptic, you know, I, 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 uh, that's just kind of my default setting. I won't say that I, um, I bought in all the way. <laughs> but um, as the episode goes on, I will play a little devil's advocate, particularly uh, where it uh, involves his, uh, his predictions. But like I said before, I, I wanted to talk, before I got into predictions, I wanted to talk about the 5100 computer and um, his knowledge of it, the real-world applications that were proven to be accurate in regards to this uh, machine. But let's also, let's also get into what was in the time machine itself, because unlike a lot of people who have claimed to be time travelers, who have claimed some of these types of fantastical things, John Titor gave very specific and very detailed descriptions of his time machine more than once. I, I have a listing here. I have a listing of the components of his time machine. So let's let's just go into it. So according to John... Uh, his time machine contained two magnetic housing units 
for the dual micro singularities that were the essential uh, driving force of the time machine device itself. So the two micro singularities were kind of the engine that gets it going. So again, two magnetic housing units for those micro singularities. An electron injection manifold to alter the mass and gravity of the singularities. A coating and x-ray venting system. Gravity sensors. Four cesium clocks. And three main computer units. Now I'm about to tell you my favorite part of this. <laughs> this unit was housed in, of all things, the back of a 1966 Chevy Corvette. Why? I don't know. <laughs> but I mean, you know, his, his, um, I mean, his machine is detailed. Uh, you know, uh, some of it may sound like science fiction, but, uh, you know, some of it is housed in a, a bit of reality. So it, it, it gave people enough, um, enough pause to kind of question and say like, well, it's not like this guy is hiding. It's not like this guy is uh, trying to dodge questions or duck questions. When we say, you know, how is your machine built? What's what's in it? He starts talking about dual micro singularities and electron injection manifolds and, you know, altering the mass of gravity. You know, it could be science fiction, but it was compelling. It was compelling. And, you know... For some of my listeners who may be a little younger, I, I, you know, I can't stress enough how different the internet was in 2000 and 2001. Um, this is a world before, before YouTube, before Facebook. Um, it was a much different internet. So, you know, it was just... Um, it was a different time. It was a different time. So when something like this came along, I think people were more apt to believe it because you didn't have Twitter, Facebook, uh, you know, Instagram, uh, YouTube, social media to, to kind of discuss these things, hash them out. Um, so I wonder, I wonder how much traction John Titor would have gotten today, to be honest with you. With that being with that being considered, the story's really compelling, though I gotta say. Um, and in a second, we'll get into his predictions. And his predictions weren't exactly super spot on, but I think that there are some things that he said. <sighs> Guys, they make a lot of sense. So we'll get into that in a second. So let's get into some of John Titor's predictions. And wow, some of these are kind of spicy. I'm not going to lie. Um, again, listen, uh, I'm going to level with you guys, okay? I'm a skeptic. I love stories like this. I, I did another podcast on... Um, 
on a cryptid monster, the Jersey Devil, uh, who's a monster kind of like Bigfoot or the Loch Ness monster. And I love, I love investigating or talking about these kinds of you know weird things, and you know they're, they're very interesting to me. But I'm a skeptic, you know. But man, let me tell you, um, John Titor, some of his years may have been off, but. Some of the years being off could be explained by uh, the many worlds interpretation of quantum mechanics. Similar to Avengers Endgame, if you need me to speak in modern parlance, where when they went back in time to go get the time stone and the mind stone and all those things in that movie, they took them from that time, and without eventually replacing the items they took, they would send those people in the past onto a separate branch of reality. So, John Titor's explanations and his predictions may not have come exactly true because he, he accomplished his mission. You see, he went back to 1975 to go get that computer. He got it. So the world he comes from doesn't necessarily reflect the world that we live in. We may be in a completely different world than John Titor because he changed his future, but he didn't necessarily change ours. But with that being said, let's get into some of these predictions and let me let me just let me just ask you, as you listen to these predictions, does any of this sound familiar in the year 2021? So John predicted that there would be an upcoming civil war having to do with order and rights. I don't know if you guys remember uh, former President Trump talking about law and order, but but I'll, I'll continue. So... He predicted an upcoming civil war having to do with order and rights, with civil unrest surrounding the presidential election that year. Now, he's referring to 2004, so he, he was a little off. But, hey, if he averted some type of catastrophe, maybe he only pushed certain things back and it was only a matter of time before they happened to us. Because did we get a full-on civil war? Maybe not. But, I mean, goodness, there was a violent siege on the Capitol. Those who sieged the Capitol were saying things about order and rights, law and order. And their unrest was surrounding the presidential election. John described this as a Waco-style event, referring to the conflict, conflict uh, at the Branch Davidian compound in Waco, Texas in the early 90s. <clears throat> so that invokes a certain sense of violence. As we know, with the Capitol siege, there, there was violence. People were killed. He described the, uh, the civil war, the civil unrest, however you want to describe it, he described it as uh, very much being city versus country, comparable to North versus South in the uh, original Civil War, American Civil War, with city, quote-unquote, being largely 
conventional military forces, the Army, the Marines, National Guard, etc. And with the country primarily being composed of militia members. So this civil war... This civil war would end up with the uh, U.S. being split into five regions, but in 2015, the civil war would end with a very intense World War III. Now, <laughs> now I'm just going to say that one more time. Uh, with the civil war, the U.S. is split into five regions, but in 2015, the civil war would end with a very intense World War III. Now, as we get more divided, does the country splitting off into... Separate areas seem that crazy? Does international in intervention into our politics seem that crazy? If one half of our country or, you know, one the, the other major political party is questioning our elections in terms of them being free and fair... <sighs> That, that's the kind of thing that could spark a World War III. So, I mean, that one hasn't exactly come true yet. But, um, wow, there's just a lot there. Um, but but get this, there's, there's, there's two more. There's two more that I'm kind of like, ooh, this is crazy. Um, so, John says that these conflicts and all of this strife in the world would uh, end up resulting with the cancellation of the 2008 Olympics, which would never return. <laughs> now, it's 2021, and we were supposed to have an Olympics this past summer in Tokyo, in 2020. It was delayed until this year. However, a recent survey revealed that 80% of Tokyo residents do not want the Olympics to take place. Now, that doesn't just speak to the sensibilities of the people of Tokyo. But if our current COVID-19 pandemic does away with large gatherings as we knew them, that could possibly change the attractiveness of attempting to get an Olympic bid for a given city. Cities might say, well, most of the people here don't want the Olympics. Most people in the world don't want to travel to a large event like this. Let's not do it. 2021 is going to be a real pivotal year. I I mean, we've gotten the vaccine rolling out, but I don't see us having the Olympics in 2021. And I mean, at that point, you know, you're already approaching the Winter Olympics and then you're going to be approaching 2024, which would be the next uh, the next Olympics anyway. So... This summer is now or never. And if we're not ready for 2021, would we be ready for a Winter Olympics in 2022? Would cities be willing to take the bid? 
I just thought that was a really interesting prediction from uh, from John here. Because again, you know, I mean, the year's off, but I never thought that I would see an Olympics postponed in my lifetime. You know, uh, you know, for me, you know, listen, I I, I was born in '83, uh, so you know, I understand. <laughs> that uh, there were uh, countries who haven't participated, there, there's been, you know, strife and trouble in the Olympics, but, but my entire life, my entire conscious life, because there was some strife in 84, which I was technically alive for, but my entire life, you know, I remember Seoul, Korea, the 88 Olympics and, and going on, you know, 88, 92 was the dream team, it just seemed like a normal, stable thing in my life, and always has been. So the idea of it being canceled or postponed when I initially read John Titor's blog posts in 2000, 2001, it seemed far-fetched. In 2021, it's not far-fetched at all. So I've got one more prediction that John Titor made. And I saved the best one for last. John predicted that a pandemic would engulf the U.S. and the world and would still be very prevalent in 2036. Wow. Wow. I mean, we're in a pandemic. Let's hope it doesn't last until 2036. I got a couple of other minor predictions here. Some of the predictions uh, tie into the ones that I've already outlined. He talks about people deriving their entertainment from more local sources. People gathering in smaller groups. You know, speaking to those two points, you talk about people gathering in smaller groups. What's COVID done to us? When was the last time you were in a really big group? The last time I went out, um, and was in a fairly large group. It was about 12 or 13 people. And I I felt nervous. I felt nervous. Everyone had masks. People were being as safe as they possibly could. But it didn't necessarily feel all that safe. Through no fault of you know anyone who was there. Don't get me wrong. But smaller groups are definitely a thing. And in regards to getting our entertainment from more local sources, well, I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but um, it's really hard to get a ticket to a movie theater. They're not really putting movies out the same way they were. People are consuming more entertainment at home than ever. People aren't going to concerts. People aren't going to sporting events. People aren't going to pro wrestling. People aren't going anywhere, really. What are they doing? They're consuming content at home. And while we've had um, 
some of the larger studios, uh, Warner Brothers in particular, uh, deciding to release all of their uh, first-run movies on HBO Max as well as theaters. Uh, Disney Plus largely doing the same thing with their uh, first-run releases, releases. Things like Soul, Mulan have just come straight to their streaming service. But now, because people are at home, because people are consuming this content at home, these movies and this media has to compete with your Facebook friends, your Instagram friends. Your favorite YouTubers that may not be necessarily a uh, a large media mogul from some, you know, large conglomerate. A lot of the stuff I watch is just from people like you and me. You're listening to me right now. I think I'm pretty talented. I think I'm pretty cool, but I'm just a guy. And right now, you could be watching Soul on Disney+, Plus, or you could be watching Wonder Woman on HBO Max, but you're listening to me. And this isn't about me, trust me. I'm not the only one. I have plenty of friends who stream of podcasts that I listen to, that I religiously listen to. And, hey, that takes time away from some of these larger... Uh, these larger media hubs. It just does. So it's just really interesting that, you know, John said that a pandemic would engulf us. We would end up gathering in smaller groups. And our entertainment would, our entertainment would be more localized. Be more amongst people that we knew or were closer to. Wild stuff. Whew, wild stuff, man. Let me tell you. But like I told you guys, I'm a skeptic. So, before we start to kind of wrap things up here, I'm going to uh, leave you with what could be a likely explanation for who was responsible for John Titor's posts. And it might not be a time traveler. So the last note on this is that I have to acknowledge a 2009 investigation that concluded John Titor and his story were nothing but an elaborate hoax perpetrated by a Florida entertainment lawyer. <laughs> this lawyer's name was Larry Haber, and this hoax was perpetrated by Larry along with his brother, Maury Haber, who was a computer scientist. Of course, with Maury being responsible for providing the insider expertise regarding the IBM 5100 I mentioned earlier. So is it a hoax? <laughs> I mean, I've said it a, a bunch of times during this episode, I'm a skeptic. But 
you know, I gotta say, some of those predictions, particularly as time has gone on, they haven't been that far off. So even if Larry Haber and his brother Maury were ultimately responsible for all of this and they all just took us for a, a fun and interesting ride, those guesses weren't bad. If they were just throwing ideas out there, I don't think it was too shabby. You know? But who knows? John, if you're listening to this, drop me a line. <laughs> uh, I just think it's good to keep an open mind. You never know. Maybe John's out there. So even though I am in the middle of recording this episode, I just got an alert that I already have a voice message for this episode from a listener. I don't know how that's possible because I haven't released it as I'm speaking. By the time you hear this, it will be released, but as I'm creating this episode, um, someone wanted to ask me a question about it, so let's take a listen. Hey, Chris, James Boker here. Because I'm a time traveler, I already knew you were going to do this episode and wanted to ask in advance, is there anything that you'd go back in the past to change? Despite being a time traveler myself, I've learned from my past, gone back, repeated it learn from my past, and it doesn't always change it, but, uh, you know, from a, just a regular person's point of view like yourself, uh, is there anything that you would go back and change, and if so, why? Love the podcast, bro. Thank you so much. I look forward to listening to your next podcast next week. What an exciting topic. Thank you, James. I don't know what my next episode is going to be about yet, but... Since you're a time traveler, maybe you could tell me. <laughs> to answer your question, I wouldn't change my past for a thing. The ups, the downs, the good, the bad. The experiences that I've had in my life have made me who I am, and I'm happy with who I am. I'm proud of who I am. So, I wouldn't change a thing. I'd probably be more like a super book time traveler where I would just go and maybe observe. But you know what? Honestly, I, I probably wouldn't even do that because I don't know if it's healthy to live in the past. I think I might be the type of person that prefers to go forward. You know? So I think it's important to leave the past in the past sometimes. If you guys would like to follow Things You Don't See Every Day with Chris Taliaferro on social media, you can find us on YouTube 
just type in things you don't see every day with Chris Taliaferro into the search bar. We pop right up. We are on Instagram at things you don't see podcast. Again, that's at things you don't see podcast. And lastly, we're also on Facebook. You can either just type in the search things you don't see every day with Chris Taliaferro, or you can type in at things you don't see podcast. Same as the Instagram handle. Leave us a message. You can drop us a line on any one of those social media channels, or you can drop us a line directly at anchor.fm, just as time-traveling James just did. Just search the show on anchor.fm, click the message tab, leave me a voice message. It'll make the show. Trust me. Take care, everybody.